by having balsam that's not his name he's not balsam balram but that's what my my phone <laughs> kept changing it to balsam in my notes <laughs> like my phone was like clearly you want to talk about a balsam fur <laughs> like no i don't I actually don't Welcome to Two White Girls Talk Bollywood. I'm Kim. And I'm Katie. And we're here. We're not talking about singing and we're not talking about dancing. No. We're talking about... We're talking about some Bollywood boys. (laughs) Yeah. We're Um, talking about murder and poverty and Bollywood boys. (laughs) Yeah. Like real, real stuff this week. Yeah. is going to be great. But also we have to highlight our one of our fave Bollywood girls. Yes. Bollywood girls turned Hollywood girls. Mm-hmm. Priyanka Chopra Jonas. Yes. Uh, she performed fabulously in this movie and also knowing that she was an executive producer of this film. A lot of great power behind that. Yes. Because we are covering The White Tiger. Yeah. And what a movie to be talking about. <laughs> I, yeah, I'm really, really excited to talk about it. Me too. It is totally up my alley. I do really want to highlight Adarsh Garov's performance because I have not seen him in anything else. Yeah. This was new for me. I couldn't look away. Yeah. He was amazing. Yeah, he was. He was amazing. phenomenal. Amazing. Yeah. I, oh, blown away mm-hmm. by his whole performance. And I'm really excited to watch Guns and Gulabs now yeah. in the future. <laughs> He just was incredible. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, he was fantastic. I was also just totally amazed at, at the way that he could kind of turn on a dime. And yeah. you never really knew exactly what his character was kind of going to emote next. Even mm-hmm. though he's narrating the story, it, it's hard to maintain that unpredictability when you have somebody who's like telling you what's about to happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's just a really well-told story. Of course, kudos to Raman Bahrani, who directed the film and wrote mm-hmm. the screenplay based on the novel by Arvind Adiga. Yeah. I'm going to guess is how to Which... pronounce that. <laughs> I do think it's interesting. Like, you can tell that this movie was based on a book because there are little things that, and this isn't in any way a criticism, but there are little things that I'm like, I bet that that gets fleshed out really like clearly Mm -hmm. in the book, which makes me excited to read the book. Um, Right. And there were also just a lot of really amazing quotes too. Yeah. I found it hard not to write a lot of stuff down word for word. And then Mm -hmm. I ended up cutting a lot of that out of my recap because I was like, okay, it's more important to just get the gist so we can discuss it. Yeah. But there were pros. You can definitely, yeah, you can see the pros behind the film. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And there were some things that I did write down word for word because they were so such good meaty quotes. I also want to say how amazing the soundtrack is for this movie. Mm-hmm. Like, just, I immediately went on to Spotify <laughs> and added, like, both the, like, orchestrated soundtrack and the, like, cultivated soundtrack of other artists' work to, you know, future listen to and look into these artists, because it was all incredible. And then you throw some gorillas in there with Feel yeah. Good Ink, and I'm like, I'm... I'm here. (laughs) I can't get enough. This is one of my favorite songs of all time. So like, yeah, Yeah. it just, phenomenal soundtrack to a phenomenal film. Yeah. We should also mention that Raj Kumar Rao, because we already mentioned the other (laughs) other two two, (laughs) leads. 
And Rajkumar Rao was also in this and did a great job. Yeah. He performed this role perfectly, and the role demands Mm -hmm. kind of being a shrinking violet (laughs) a little bit. Like skim milk is how his character gets described in the movie. And like, yeah, I love Rajkumar Rao's ability to do that, to like not be this like super handsome, charming guy who you're going to fall in love with, that he can just turn that off. Yeah, Yeah. it is really remarkable how he can be a leading man Mm -hmm. very effortlessly, but also then can very seamlessly transition into a more like background presence. Because I do think, and maybe this is changing, but I know like the Bollywood of 15, 20 years ago was more into typecasting, as was Hollywood. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, But so it's more impressive when you can see people kind of just be like, I can play all sorts of roles. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, just kudos all around. (laughs) Yeah, like I said, can't wait to talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, a lot of thoughts. Personally, I have no need to wait any longer. No, I think we can dive right in. So the movie opens in 2007 as a woman is recklessly driving a car through the nearly empty streets of Delhi. Mm -hmm. And there are two men in the car with her, one in the front seat, um, and he is having just as much fun as she is. And then we've got one in the back who is looking a little bit concerned and keeps offering to drive. And at one point, the man up front distracts her. She takes her eyes off the road and we see someone walk into the street in front of the car. And then we hear a thump as the screen goes dark. Yeah. What a start to a movie. (laughs) Our narrator chimes in and chides himself for beginning the story in this manner. And he says he should instead have honored one of Hinduism's millions of gods as a venerable Mm -hmm. opening to this story. The narrator is Balram. And he is telling this story to us, the audience, from Bangalore in 2010, three years after this incident that we start the movie with. But he's also telling this story as he is writing an email to a Chinese entrepreneur who is on his way to Bangalore from Beijing to learn about Mm -hmm. India's booming outsourcing economy. And Balram says that India is actually two different countries, one of light and one of darkness, and he is from the darkness. And he also casually mm-hmm. lets us know that he is wanted by the police, <laughs> yep. um, but he asks us not to judge him for that until we have heard his full story. Mm-hmm. And so what we learn about Balram is that he grew up in poverty in a village called Lakshmangar, and he was really good in school, so much so that his teachers told him that he was going to be this, you know, once in a generation white tiger to rise up and become someone important from their village. Mm-hmm. But sadly for Balram, his father is indebted to the village landlord, who he refers to as the stork. And so Balram's grandmother, who is the head of their joint family, she says that Balram has to leave school and he has to go to work at the tea shop and earn enough to cover this debt that his father owes. And so that is the end of Balram's education. He's like 10 at this point. Mm Mm-hmm. Shortly after this, Balram's father dies of tuberculosis, and Balram tells us that it is important not to be a poor man in a free democracy. Mm-hmm. That line. Ugh. I enjoyed a lot of the, uh, the commentary on democracy throughout the course of mm-hmm. this film. Um, yeah, very, like, ton-in-cheek, yeah. and also so applicable 
not just to India's state of affairs, but a lot of societies around the world. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. A lot of democracies around the world, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, the narrator, Balram, he reflects on how India's greatest accomplishment is what he calls the quote-unquote rooster coop, essentially the willing servitude, and I'm going to redefine that word willing later on, um, mm-hmm. but the willing servitude of impoverished people to the wealthy. And Balram says, quote, you can put the keys of emancipation in a man's hand and he will throw it back at you with a curse. So back in his actual story, Balram learns through his work at the tea shop that the stork's younger son has moved back to India after studying in America. This is now like several years beyond his childhood. Um, And Balram decides that he wants the younger son of the stork to be his master. Um, Mm -hmm. And he knows that the family is looking to hire a second driver. So he convinces his grandmother to give him money for driving lessons in the city, promising that he will send enough money back to her that she will be the wealthiest woman in the village. So he enacts this plan and he takes driving lessons and learns to be a fairly <laughs> aggressive driver um, yeah. <laughs> with lots I of did road that, rage. <laughs> that whole scene was really funny. <laughs> yeah, I, I enjoyed that. So he convinces the stork to hire him because he's like, oh, I'm from Lakshmangar. You know, the people there still honor you. They still call you our father. They revere mm-hmm. you as much as they revere Gandhi. You know, he's going on and on. And the stork's younger son, whose name is Ashok, he is all for hiring Balram. But the older son, Mukesh, who Balram refers to as the mongoose, um, yeah. <laughs> he says that Balram needs to be tested first. So they go for a drive and they have a fascinating conversation about Balram's cast. Yeah. Where Ashok doesn't know. He straight up asks Balram, is that a low cast or a high cast? Like he's never, he doesn't know. And fascinating to me, first of all, that Ashok doesn't know that. And second of all, that he would in any way assume that a man who is trying to sell himself into servitude to their family would be from a high cast. Like it just, it's a fascinating, it's a fascinating moment. Yeah, it's also just very interesting that you care enough about the caste system, whatever your views are of it, you care enough about it to ask what caste this man is, but then don't actually know enough to know whether what he has said is a high or low caste. And so you're then reliant on him to define it for you, but you're the one that placed the importance on that. Yeah, It just goes to show that a class slash caste system is based on nothing more than societal structure and expectations that were put in place by a select group of people right. and, that had the power. Yeah, and people, certain people feel the need to reinforce it and without, without even yeah. having any sense of what it, what it means or what it entails. Fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, but so they decide to hire him. They offer him a salary and Balram, you know, he's he does this really interesting technique kind of of talking to them that at this mm-hmm. point I don't think is entirely malicious, but may have right. some innocence still attached to it where he's like, oh, that's too much money. You don't need to pay me like I'm a part of your family. And it's this exaggerated mm-hmm. yeah. deference to these people that as right. the movie progresses just becomes more and more tense. Yeah, as part of my quote-unquote research, I did look at a lot of reviews. Mm-hmm. And the number of people who took that as him genuinely being subservient oh, 
interesting. Was numerous. And I just did not read it that way. No, me neither. It feels very much like an intelligent, capable man. Yep aware of where society has placed him knowing he has a a role to play who is now executing that with again some tongue-in-cheek but like these people are so used to their privilege and receiving certain behaviors that they don't even realize that he's not being genuine it's it's this manipulative thing he's doing that's very intentional and at this point is manipulative just because he wants to get this job and i think it later it sort of grows and grows into animosity behind it um it's yeah yeah, but i I do think it's interesting that people didn't see that and were like oh you're saying that that's an okay way to be and yeah Yeah. manipulative is is like a harsh word for it but you're it's not genuine like Yeah. yeah i i think manipulative because he is trying to get something very strategic out that of, is true maybe strategic is a better word than manipulative but yes um, for some reason for some reason <laughs> i feel like manipulative has a negative connotation to it It does strategic is yeah. like a it does have a negative connotation and i yeah. do think i intend for that to be there but at this point at this point maybe it's more strategic than manipulative but anyway so the other important part of this conversation is that mukesh the older son the mongoose asks about balram's family um Mm -hmm. and this is where balram says like this in his narration this is why the rooster coop system works because Mm -hmm. every master knows about their servants families and so if the servant does anything out of line there can be repercussions for the family. And we see Balram kind of shares with us this fantasy of him getting killed, shot for committing Mm -hmm. a crime against his masters, and then his entire family being slaughtered as a result of that as well. Yeah. Which at this point doesn't actually happen, but (laughs) is uh, this is why these people are in this quote unquote willing servitude. Right. Yeah, um, it's a gruesome, like, imagining. It is, too. yeah, like, it really is. you just is. see it happen. It's, it's very startling. But so, yep, so Balram is hired, but he's the second driver. And so in addition to driving, he's also cleaning carpets, cleaning windows. He's having to massage the stork's legs, which is just, like, why would you Ugh. make a person do that who you weren't, like, paying specifically for that task? Yeah. Um. And he wonders in his narration if there is any hatred on earth more powerful than that of the number two servant for the number one servant. Mm-hmm. More on that later. Um, yep. Eventually, Balram meets Pinky, who is Ashok's wife, and she just immediately puts her hands on his body. Um, and she's a chiropractor, mm-hmm. so that's why she thinks that she's justified in doing this. But Balram is very confused and thinks at first that she is a prostitute or is a sex worker, which yeah. is understandable given that he has no real context for what's happening to him in this moment. And just like yeah. the entitlement of this woman putting her hands on this man's body like immediately after meeting him is fascinating to me. Pinky is a really interesting character, and in so many ways she reminds me of early feminism in the U.S., Mm -hmm. which was very much white women imagining that because they are considered outsiders in some circles that they understand the plight of every person who has been othered. And in that way, like, diminish those other groups' experiences. And obviously, Pinky is not a white woman. There's just elements of that there, of her being like, oh, well, I've experienced hardship, 
So that gives me this better right. and th- that makes me in so many ways like superior to those who haven't, but also like makes it puts me on the same level as these people who have experienced things that I have no real understanding of. Yeah. While her status may put her quote unquote lower than like that of her husband's family. Yeah. Her status still affords her certain privileges that Balram does not have. Yeah. But she seems to be kind of oblivious yep. to those Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But we later learn Pinky is a Christian, and like I said, she was raised in the U.S., and Ashok's brother, Mukesh, and his father, the stork, don't approve of her. Um, so she does, yeah. she is struggling in this movie, and so, Absolutely. like, that's definitely not to be, like, undermined, but she also, no. the ways that she relates to Balram are inappropriate at times. But so in this conversation where Balram is meeting Pinky for the first time, Ashok calls Balram half-baked. And he draws attention to the fact that Balram can read and write, but that he can't understand what he reads. And so Ashok is saying like, oh, this is the biggest untapped market in India are these people who want to move up into middle class. And, you know, he wants to help them get there. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Typical. It's just I more on this later, but definitely like a higher caste slash higher class person than being like, no, I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you. But also being derogatory in the way in which they're exactly. talking. Yeah. Talking about down human to beings. them. And, yeah. Yeah. As if they're not actual human beings but you're saying you're doing it for them it's fascinating yeah there's a lot that's fascinating (laughs) yeah but so the chief minister then comes to visit the family and this is a woman who balram has admired since childhood and she is referred Mm -hmm. to simply as the great socialist um yeah and this the dynamics here of the politics and the money i don't understand i'm gonna just be upfront about that but so this is my understanding of what's happening the family owes her 2.5 million rupees and she threatens to send them back to the streets of the village where she found them if they don't pay up and then she spits on their coffee table um, mm-hmm. And this woman is amazing. <laughs> like, yeah. just, you know, and I don't know, I, like, yeah. she seems to be someone who is actually, like, she came from what Balram would call the darkness and yeah. actually got herself into a position of power to then try to change the circumstances of those people is how I understand her character to be portrayed. Okay. I got a different read on it. Okay, interesting. My understanding of it was that they're putting money directly into her pocket to avoid paying taxes. Mm -hmm. Like, she helped them evade tax paying to the government. Okay. (laughs) And instead, they then have to give money to her directly. Okay. And she kind of hates them. (laughs) But I agree with that. I think she did raise herself out of the darkness and into the light. But what corruption did she go through in order to do that? Yeah. And in that way, I think it's kind of a mirror to the journey we kind of see Balram on. Great. I think both of the things that we're saying are are accurate. (laughs) I think so, too. And I think she does definitely have a distaste for them as Ballroom has a distaste for them. I think as any impoverished, oppressed person does for people who aren't oppressed and in fact are the oppressors. Yeah. Yeah. I was automatically feeling inclined to sympathize with her when at the end Mukesh and Ashok are like upset that she wins because and they're like, oh, all the poor people voted for her. 
But so the family then decides that they're going to send Ashok to strike up. I don't know, because again, I don't I didn't really understand the dynamics of this. So, you know, they're sending Ashok to Delhi to get in with the opposition party instead. Like whatever the deal yeah. is that you that, <laughs> that you understood better than me, they're going to try to I feel to get that yeah, going I, with the opposition. Something about evading taxes and not wanting to get caught slash imprisoned for that and so they're paying off a bunch of people who have the power is what my interpretation was yeah this is the stuff that i was thinking of with the book where i was like i probably would understand this if i had oh yeah (laughs) so they're sending a show to delhi and driver number one is going with them um Mm -hmm. but ballroom has learned that driver number one is muslim and he has been passing himself off as hindu so he can work for this wealthy family and mm-hmm. um, Balram makes some offensive comments and threatens this man, and the man ends up leaving his position. And Balram gets promoted. Mm-hmm. And interestingly, like in his narration, he says he feels bad about this. Yeah. Um, but if you were going by his expression in the moment, you wouldn't necessarily think that he felt bad about the choices he made to get his foot in the door here. I think maybe upon reflection, there were some feelings like he could have handled that differently. Exactly, which I think is also a scene that, that kind of showcases how people in positions of power, again, not just in India, but in the States as well, pit less wealthy, less powerful people against each other so that they don't unite against... Yes, it behooves them to have the people below them fighting with each other so they don't try to fight with them. And then then they don't have a choice, really. They're like, I have to fight for survival. So I'm going to, yeah, do this to you. And then once you're in that place of comfort, finally, you can be like, yeah, I do feel bad about the actions I did. Yeah. Yeah. But so they move into this hotel where they're going to be staying in Delhi. Ashok and Pinky uh, and their family, when like Mukesh and the stork are visiting, they're staying up at one of the glitzy suites. And Mm -hmm. Balaram is living in basically a storage closet in the garage of this hotel. Where all of the servants are. Yeah, so he's living among the other drivers, other servants of the Mm -hmm. wealthy patrons of the hotel who are a very lewd crew. So Balram spends his time in Delhi driving around Ashok and Mukesh while he's in town um, around to these various government officials, always with this red bag. Um, Mm -hmm. And Balram, again, you know, uses his narration in this moment to scorn democracy. And he says that if he were in charge of India, he'd start by fixing the sewage systems and then he would fix democracy. (laughs) I do think it's funny because he's talking about like the merits of communism Mm -hmm. in China. Where it's like, yeah, okay, you don't really have personal freedom, but you have working sewage systems. So. I do, yeah. It's a really interesting examination of democracy and, like, what does it mean to be a democracy when you don't have proper health care right. or sanitation? Yeah. Like, yeah. What, is what it, are you doing? What does it mean to have, quote-unquote, freedom when you can't live comfortably, yeah. healthfully, happily? Anyway, so time passes. They send Mukesh back home, and Balram is excited to just be there with Ashok as his only master, because Ashok... Yeah thinks he treats Balram as an equal, you know, he thinks he treats him pretty okay. Definitely questionable, but Balram kind of prefers that relationship to the relationship he has with Mukesh or the stork. Well, and in this part of the film, once the mongoose is gone, 
it does feel more genuine from Ashok. Mm -hmm. So I kind of bought into this idea at this point that Balram is like, oh, okay, like, yeah, Ashok isn't maybe such a bad guy. Like, maybe, not that he necessarily was like, we're equals, but I do kind of get the impression that he was feeling a genuine connection and friendship to Ashok in that moment. I agree. I think it's, it's, Ashok's relationship towards Balram stays pretty consistent throughout. It's Balram's relationship to Ashok that I think changes. And I absolutely agree. At this point, he is a little more trusting of the time that they spend together and then later on becomes a little more suspicious of it um right but so yeah yeah, on their way back from dropping off mukesh at the train station they crank some gorillas um ashok smokes he tells balram don't call me sir don't say i'm your master that's not what we are Mm -hmm. call me ashok and he's like, you know, I know that's not the not the greatest name in the world. And Balram's like, no, I think Ashok's a totally fine name. And Ashok's like, great, you can have it then. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so keep that in mind. Yep. And yep, like you said, we see them playing video games together. We see them playing tennis. <laughs> I did. There are a couple of times where Balram pays Ashok hardly in compliments. <laughs> like he's <laughs> yeah. like, you're so good at tennis. You could be in the Olympics. And then Pinky insists that they go on a trip to visit one of Ashok's uncles who lives near Balram's village. So Balram drives them. And as they're approaching the village, he's sharing these gestures of piety with Ashok and Pinky. And it's this, again, a really fascinating scene because Ashok and Pinky are like, oh my gosh, tell us about that. What does that mean? What is this like venerable object that we're driving by? But then they're also mocking these traditions that they're claiming they want to learn about as they're kind of like giggling as they do it. But Balram is also kind of intentionally exaggerating in this moment to feel like that teacher and to feel that superiority in this moment. And so he's kind of mocking the traditions too. Yeah, like when he's just like, sure, it's that tree. That tree is the special one. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah, and I couldn't, I genuinely watching it, like couldn't tell like how much of this is real and how much of this is him playing with them. Yeah, Yeah. it's my read. And now I'm questioning if maybe I misread something or missaw something, but I got the impression that it was after Pinky asked him if he was excited to see his grandmother and I thought that he kind of teared up a little. And that was when he kind of oh, went yeah. to I, to brush the tears away. I didn't read it as him brushing the tears away, but definitely read it as him just itching his eye. And then, yeah, oh, and okay. then Ashok was like, oh, do, what, was what did you just do? And then, okay. Yeah. But it's the idea that, like, Ashok has this idea of this other. And it's like, a well, you can't just be making a universal human gesture in this moment. Yeah. It must mean something spiritual to you. And I honestly thought that everything Balram was doing was just like, all right, sure, let me get one over you. Yeah. Like, Anyway, while Ashok and Pinky are visiting Ashok's uncle, Balram goes to visit his own family, and his grandma is just, like, getting after him about how, you know, oh, you haven't sent money home in months, and getting after him about the food he's eating and not eating, and he just ends up storming off and leaving the situation. Yeah. 
So on the drive home, Ashok shares with Balram that he was kind of similarly berated by his uncle, and he tells Balram of his ambitions to offer financial services in Bangalore, which is, you know, this booming tech city earlier in the movie. Balram, Mm -hmm. in his narration, had called it the Silicon Valley of India. And Balram's like, cool, that sounds great. Let's get in the car. I'll drive all night. Let's go to Bangalore. And Ashok's Uh like, oh, no, we can't do that. I've got to come up with a business plan first. And in his narration, Balram says that if Ashok were a real entrepreneur, they would have gone and things Uh would have turned out differently for all of them. But he says that rich men are born with opportunities that they can waste, which is another extraordinary line. Right. And it's it's fascinating to see the difference in like the comfort level, too. Mm -hmm. Where it's like, I'm comfortable where I'm at. And Ballroom is like, I literally need to take whatever chance I have yeah. to try to be half as comfortable as you. Right. If that opportunity presents itself, I, I gotta go for it while I can. Yeah. But so after this, there's a scene where Balram is serving Pinky and one of her friends, and he's got a stain on his uniform, and mm-hmm. he takes a moment to make a, a personal adjustment um, yeah. while he's handing them a tray of tea. And Pinky and her friend, and in particular the friend, just like go off on him. And the friend yeah. is saying like, oh, it's always these low caste people. They always act like this. It's so inappropriate. Yeah. yeah. But then after the friend leaves, Pinky calls Balram in and he thinks that he's going to be scolded. But she's like, no, no, no. Like, I want to genuinely talk to you. And she keeps asking him, like, what do you want out of life? And Balram mm-hmm. just keeps say- saying, well, I want to serve you. That's what I want out of life. And again, like this goes back to what you were right. saying earlier. Like we He's all we all know yeah. he doesn't want that. <laughs> right. It's been made abundantly clear. But that's what he's saying in this moment to this person who he's. Right. in servitude to um yeah he cannot safely say yeah. what he's actually thinking yeah but that's all pinky wants in this moment and right she's like no you cannot possibly want that i do not believe that and then she says she didn't grow up wealthy she grew up in new york right. to parents who owned a bodega and she knows what it means to want to get out is what she's telling balram and yeah She's in this situation where, like, her in-laws don't really approve of her, but she's just going to keep living her way. Um, Yeah. I do think it's a really interesting, powerful scene. Yeah. Because if her characterization was different up until this point, I think it would have been this really amazing moment and bonding moment. Yeah between these two characters where maybe Balram could say like, okay, this is an ally who could help me achieve what I want to achieve. But literally the scene previous to this, she says these really awful things. And then in the next scene is like, no, you tell me like what you want. It's like she wants to be helpful when she wants to be helpful, but also cannot see past her own privilege like we were talking about before. Yeah. She still kind of, like, puts on a show in some ways. Like, in front of certain people, she acts in certain ways, unless it's serving of her not to. 
Yes. And she's a really interesting character because there's also a lot to be said for people who put themselves first because they've always had to. Right. And so I think that's what makes this such a good movie is you have these complicated feelings about all of these characters. Because, yeah, in, in this moment and in other moments, I think she is doing the right thing and she's saying the right things. And a lot of the time, she's also not doing the right thing or saying the right things. And that's what makes a really compelling character. Right. It's like putting on a front that you truly believe you believe up until something happens that calls on you to actually act on that belief Mm -hmm. in a way that may be detrimental to yourself. And that's when you find out. What do you actually value? What What do you actually? mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. What's the truth here? Yeah. So Balram leaves this conversation kind of reinvigorated to reinvent himself. And so he goes to the market, he buys toothpaste, he buys new clothes, he buys new shoes, and then he warns us that his story gets much darker from this point on. And we now catch up to the point where we start the movie. Pinky and Ashok are out late celebrating Pinky's birthday, and yeah, it really seems like they just dressed him up to entertain Pinky. Yeah, like Ashok was like, look, I dressed up our driver. Yeah. Yeah. A human man yeah. to be a caricature yep. of a Maharaja so that you would be entertained. Like, oh, haha, ha, that's That's hilarious. so funny. Yeah. But then we're not, he's, he is just going to sit in the car wearing this outfit while we go out and enjoy our time. It's so gross. It's so gross. It's like what you would do if you're like, look, I put a bow on our dog. Exactly. That's exactly and what it is. Ugh. It's like, that's a, yeah. yeah. What? It is truly like. I cannot fathom how you could treat another human person so differently to the way you would treat yourself or the people in your inner circle. That's just never something I can understand. And I completely agree with everything you're saying on this sort of like larger scale about like when push comes to shove, what are people's actual beliefs? Yeah. The idea of forcing someone who I'm paying to dress up for my entertainment. Ugh. It's, I can't even fathom how people would treat other people like that. Yeah, and it's also like clearly Ashok is straddling two worlds here too, where he grew up in this atmosphere where this is how you treat people in servitude to you. Yeah. But then he went to the U.S. and, you know, we're such an enlightened country. <laughs> oh, yeah. <Ooh. laughs> Quote, unquote. That was sarcasm. Um, <laughs> in case you couldn't tell. But he then came back and was just like, oh, no, I'm, like, liberal and, like, liberate the poor man. Mm -hmm. But then it's also like, no, his true nature is not that. Yeah. Yeah, so they're out. Pinky and Ashok, they're celebrating Pinky's birthday. They leave Balram just hanging in the car. Um, Yeah. But then as they're driving home, first important thing that happens, Balram overhears Pinky and Ashok talking about when they're going to go back to New York because Pinky is saying, we were only supposed to be here for six months. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I, I want to get away from your family. And then they stop at a red light and Pinky gives money to a child who comes up to the car and Balram tries to shoo the child away and Pinky scolds him and then she forces him to get out of the car and she drives off in the car they, with Ashok with her just leaving Balram in the middle of the street. Yeah. In the middle what? of a city that he doesn't know well. Right. Um, but Just because that's the whim she yeah, had. Yeah, she's like, this will be fun. Yep. But then they drive back um, and they pick him up, but they won't let him drive. 
So this is where we see Pinky driving recklessly and then eventually hitting and presumably killing a person who Mm. walks into the road in front of her. And this is just a, like, my palms were sweating. (laughs) It's a hard scene. In this moment. Um, They're starting to get out of the car, but Balram is like, don't do that. Get back in the car. He gets behind the wheel. He drives them away from the scene. He's saying, like, we're not going to tell anyone. Nobody was around. Nobody saw this happen. No one will be able to link us to this. We're getting out of here. Pinky is just sobbing in the backseat, like, what have I done? Mm -hmm. We have to go back. We have to help them. It's just, it's a, it's a horrible moment that you could just, it's like visceral. You just feel it in, in your blood. Yeah. It is just interesting that she, as a more privileged person than Balram, had this whim and left him and then was like, oh no, we'll pick you up again, but I'm driving, ha ha ha. Yep. And then has a consequence of her actions and who is there to get her out of it. Mm-hmm. It is the quote unquote lower cast person and i'm not saying that he made the right call but it is like he cleaned up her mess yeah absolutely and literally in the next scene because we we then see him like he's actually cleaning the blood off the the front of the car and they're back at the hotel and ashok comes down to talk to him and balram comforts ashok and he's saying you know Mm -hmm. no one's gonna miss that kid the police wouldn't even let that kid's family into the police station to file a report about it and Ashok is just like, yeah, no, yeah, you're right. Okay, like this is making him feel better. And then Balram tells Ashok to go upstairs and rest because he's had a long day. Um, yeah. Just wow. And then in his narration, he's saying how he he fell asleep that night, satisfied that he had done his duty by his master. Yeah. Honestly, I think he was in a complicated position there because had they stopped, had they called the cops and something blew back on Ashok or Pinky, Balram would have taken the fall for it from the family anyway, probably. Yeah, I mean, frankly, I think Balram's choice to handle this decision in this way, like, this isn't the way this should be handled, but this is the only way that all three of them get out of this without any repercussions, other than the crippling guilt of killing a person. Um, yeah. Which doesn't get explored much, but Pinky, you know, she's probably dealing well, with that in therapy. Pinky. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You can tell when you see her, she's not doing She's great. not well. Yeah, no. But I also think that that scene between Ashok and Balram is really interesting because Balram's like, oh, people like that, they have like a dozen kids. Yep. They don't even know all their names, so it's not a big deal. I wish I could say that that was him kind of just playing along with the ideals or ideas that Ashok as a higher caste person might have of, you know, lower caste people. But I think at this point, Balram now does view himself as being above that child that was selling something car side, even though that very easily could have been him. Yeah. We're starting to see that change. Yeah. There are people that he is able to look down on and he is making the choice to do that. Yeah. Even as he is as, being looked as he down is being on. looked down on. Yeah. And I think that that's another thing that you kind of see is like people want to punch down. Right. You take power where you can get it. Yeah. Shortly after this incident occurs, uh, mm-hmm. Balram gets called up to the hotel suite and Ashok is there with Mukesh and with the stork and another man. And mm-hmm. they're all there waiting for him. And as he comes in, 
there's a marked difference in how Mukesh and the stork are treating him. They're calling him family. Yeah. They offer him betel leaf. There's this camaraderie that they're trying to create. Yeah. And they make him read out what turns out to be a, ri- a witness statement that they have written where he is confessing to this hit and run. And they tell him that they have already told his grandmother about this. And she's very proud of him for taking this sacrifice for the family. Mm-hmm. And she has signed the confession as a witness and they encourage him to sign. And he does end up signing. And Ashok puts up a weak protest, but in the end he just lets this happen. Yeah. Um, because it's worse if it yep. doesn't happen exactly. for him. Exactly. Yeah. So he's putting himself and his partner above this person. Yeah. Um, this innocent this person. This innocent yeah. person who, who is in his employment. After Balram signs, they tell him to leave, and he leaves just completely shell-shocked. Like, again, I was Mm -hmm. having, like, a physical reaction to the expression on his face, just that sort of fear and confusion in his eyes, and then as he kind of, he begins to sort of, like, go into a bit of a, like, rage after this happens. We then cut briefly back to Balram in 2010, And he is staring directly into the camera as he says, To think of this again makes me so angry that I might go out and cut the throat of some rich man right now. And he's saying he didn't even think in the moment that he had options. He didn't think that he could try to bargain, that he could try to ask for something in return. He was trapped by the rooster coop. Yeah, he has no agency in that moment Mm -hmm. because it was like his grandmother dictated whatever he did back home. Mm And then his quote-unquote, you know, master dictates what he does in this part of his life. And so literally now both of these entities have agreed on something and he's, yeah, yeah. what's he supposed to do? And also, I mean, like, what what could he have done? Like, I understand I, the feelings I, yeah. of, like, I should have done more, but, like, it's just, like, how people get coerced into confessions all the time because they're stressed and they're told that it's the only way out. So... He also has this moment, he kind of reflects back on this idea of the white tiger from his youth and this idea that in order to escape from this situation, he has to become this, what he calls a freak of nature and become a white tiger. Right after he has signed the confession, the family goes back to treating him exactly the way that they did before, i.e. like an animal, like someone who is far less than they are. And there's a scene where, you know, he goes up, he's massaging the stork's legs and pinky comes in and she's like have you told him yet and everyone's like no we haven't told him yet and she's like well we have to tell him the good news and she goes up to balram and tells him no one came forward so he doesn't have to take the fall for anything this is just gonna go away (laughs) yeah and then there's some conflict and some tension that happens it ultimately leads to the stork kind of kicks Balram aside and then Pinky is furious with them for treating him that way and she actually gets a little bit physical in, mm-hmm. in this moment and Mukesh is telling Ashok that he needs to rein her in and implies that she's been like looking for the family of this dead child to compensate them for their loss and so a lot of negativity between Pinky and the rest of the family here. Well, it's just also the hypocrisy of Pinky yelling at the stork for treating Balram oh, well, that yeah. way. Yeah, and where was she when they were getting the confession out of him? Well, so, like, <laughs> right? That's the thing. It's like, just because you weren't present in that room does not mean you're not complicit. Yeah. Again, 
it comes down to this part of her that was probably relieved. Yeah, that she, there was no way that she was going to get blamed for this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I understand she's also going through her own, like she did murder a person. Yep. But yeah, it's just like your betrayal of Balram is superior to the stork kicking him. Yeah. I'm just guessing. Yeah. But so soon after this, Mukesh and the stork, they leave town again, and Pinky wakes Balram up in the middle of the night and asks him to drive her to the airport. Yeah. And he drops her off at the airport, and when Ashok finds out about Pinky leaving, he blames Balram, and he starts hitting him. And so they get into this physical altercation. Balram pushes Ashok over in the heat of the moment, mm-hmm. and Ashok, lying on the floor, says that he wishes Balram had been sent to jail. And so Balram leaves and he says he waits for two days without hearing anything from Ashok. But eventually Ashok does call for Balram and Balram finds him falling down drunk and he takes care of Ashok um, while he's Mm -hmm. in this state. And the narration muses about whether servants loathe their masters under a facade of love or love them under a facade of loathing. Mm-hmm. And Balram also takes this opportunity when Ashok passes out to try on some of his clothes and mm-hmm. also use one of his Q-tips and then put it back in the container. Um, yeah. Which, if you ask me, is the worst thing that happens in this movie. Um, (laughs) I mean, it's very gross, but also what a power move. It is a real power move, yeah. And so it's seeming like things are kind of good again. These two are, you know, things are back on an even keel for them. But then Mukesh comes back into town and somehow he has heard that Pinky is planning to file for divorce. So this just shatters things for Ashok and Balram is still trying to kind of play that role of, of caretaker for him. And Ashok just physically and emotionally pushes him away. This is the point where it's like, I think we've reached the point of no return here. Right. Balram, he then also, he starts to cheat Ashok. He is going through all these little things to steal a little bit of extra money from him on the side, Mm -hmm. um, like pretending that the car needs repairs and then taking the money. Right now, just benign ways of taking advantage. (laughs) Right. And then... One night, Ashok is waiting for Balram in his room when he gets home. Um, (laughs) And Ashok is like, what were you... I know what you were doing. And Balram's like, oh my gosh, I've been caught, like, cheating him. And Ashok's like, you were praying for me at the temple, weren't you? (laughs) Which is just such a ridiculous moment. I was like, this this has to be a fantasy, right? But no, this is real. This is really what Ashok thought that this other man was doing, was only thinking about him. And not using his car to give other people rides. <laughs> and they have this sort of a heart-to-heart moment, even though we're sort of, you know, this relationship is now officially kind of broken beyond repair. And Ashok also tells Balram that he wishes he had a simple life like Balram's life. Oh. Um, and it, yeah, it's this, God. again, it's that, then we get into this, these, like the commentary on the romanticization of poverty yeah. and wow, there must be something so like joyful in the simple living. And it's like, no, it's nice when people have indoor plumbing. Right. Or, you know, just have a roof over their head yeah. and are able to pay for food. Actually like have all the things you need to survive the hierarchy of yeah. needs, all of it. Right. It's so gross. They do it so well. There's so many elements that it's just like, that's disgusting what you just said. Yeah. 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 
But then Balram, he finds out that Mukesh is trying to convince Ashok to replace him. I was really intrigued by this because he says he learned what he learned through lip reading. Mm-hmm. Do you think there's an element that this is maybe not actually what's happening? I do. I really thought that that was going to like kind of come out at some point. Mm. Um mm-hmm it kind of leaves us in a place of not really knowing for sure one way or the other because there's later right. evidence that he maybe could have been right. But I I do think that this is pretty flimsy evidence to go on <laughs> in this moment. Yeah, he's, he's now transitioned into this state yeah. where it's like, I am cheating him. Maybe he's found out. He's replacing me. I'm paranoid. Yeah, any little perceived slight, he feels the, mm-hmm. the need and the justification Anger. to act upon. So Balram takes an opportunity when Ashok and Mukesh are meeting with more government people to take a look in that red bag that they're always carrying around with them. And it's filled with enough money that he estimates it would cover like two to three years of his salary. Yeah. And he kind of becomes obsessed with this red bag. And, you know, he's focusing on it all the time when they're in the car. And he has this vision of his dad telling him that this is the taxpayer's money. Ashok and Mukesh stole it in the first place. So if Balram steals it, it's not even really stealing. And Balram does briefly kind of worry about what might happen to his family if he takes this step. But he just has that wondering about it. And Ashok does kind of sense that something's off with Balram, and so he offers him some time away, and he's like, here, don't worry about the expense, I'll pay for it, and gives him just enough money for a one-way ticket home. It's like that classic, you know, you ask a super, super rich person what the cost of a gallon of milk is. You ask Lucille Bluth how much a banana costs, and she's... (laughs) Right. (laughs) Do you actually know like how much a bus ticket costs? Yeah, it's clearly like he, you don't. either he only would have paid way less or way more than the actual amount. He would not have guessed the correct amount. But yeah. Balram, because of the state he's in, takes this as well. He wants me to leave and never come back. Yeah. And so then we, you know, we find out that the great socialist, um, she has won the election, and Mukesh and Ashok they try to get back into her good graces. They offer her ten lakhs. Uh, she wants forty. Mm-hmm. Earlier on, once Balram is starting to have these thoughts of like, there's a lot of money in that bag, I could take it. He's then like, I'm worth more than the smaller amount. And then when he overhears that conversation where she's like, no, you're giving me 40 lakhs, deliver it at this place on this day. He's like, oh, 4 million. Yes, that's what I want to steal. It's just, it's so interesting to see how calculating he is starting to get. Yeah. So then a boy shows up at Balram's place of of residence. (laughs) Um, And this is a relative of his. And grandma has sent this boy, whose name is Dharam, to learn to be a driver from Balram. And also to remind Balram to send some money home, which he hasn't done now for you know, who knows how long, um, and to mm-hmm. come back soon because grandma has arranged his marriage for him. And Balram hits poor Dharam numerous times, mm-hmm. but then he does introduce Dharam to Ashok, and Ashok gives Balram the day off. But Balram says he knows that a master never gives anything to a servant for free, and so he lurks around long enough to see that Ashok is meeting with a man who Balram assumes is his potential replacement. Yeah. Balram uses his day off with Dharam to go to the zoo where he sees a white tiger 
and Balram mm-hmm. collapses in front of its cage. Um, yeah. Which we had seen him earlier collapse at his father's funeral. In his narration, Balram quotes the great poet Iqbal, the moment you recognize what is beautiful in this world, you stop being a slave. Um, So this is his reaction to the white tiger. And he is now, he's ready to take action. So we see him kind of set up a scene. He breaks a bottle, which he then places in the back of the car. He blesses the car. And then he drives Ashok to a rainy, remote stretch of road and gets Ashok to get out of the car, telling him that he needs help changing one of the tires. And then while Ashok is bent over by the tire, Balram stabs him numerous times with the bottle and then ultimately slits his throat. Mm-hmm. And as he drives away with the red bag in the car with him, he screams and then he laughs. Yeah. I don't know about you, but I really was shocked by this narrative choice. This is where the movie lost me. Interesting. Okay. I feel like the choice to have Balram murder Ashok takes away the complexity of his character almost and it makes it too easy to label him a villain, Mm -hmm. which is not the point of this film. I don't know why he would leap to murdering Ashok rather than like knocking him out and leaving him on the side of the road and stealing the money because that end result is the same yeah i think that's a very valid critique yeah it wasn't necessary balram's plot wise to take a show's life and it does seem like that's an extreme jump for his character it's like if we're looking at it as just like an entertaining film Mm -hmm. sure maybe the servant murders the master but if we're looking at this as a genuine critique of societal norms i think it kind of cheapens it Um, So Balram does take Dharam with him and they head to Bangalore Mm -hmm. because Balram is like, okay, well, what would Ashok do? And so he uses some of the money from the red bag to pay off the police who Mm -hmm. then end up arresting all of the drivers in the city for having expired licenses. And there's a picture of him on a wanted poster on the wall at the police station, but he says that he has the face of any man in India. So, like, they didn't even recognize it. They didn't even clock that that wanted man just walked into their office and gave them a ton of money. What he's doing with this is he's starting his own company called White Tiger Drivers. And so Mm -hmm. with all of the other drivers in the city arrested, he begins to have a monopoly on drivers. So he finishes off his letter to this Chinese businessman who he's been writing to this whole time by saying, if you like what you see on our website, make sure you click on this link here to contact me. And the link says, contact Ashok Sharma. And he says, oh, yeah, Mm -hmm. I, I go by Ashok now. But Balram explains that he treats the drivers who work for him as employees. He does not treat them as his servants. And he takes responsibility for when things go wrong. And we do see an incident where one of the drivers strikes a child and the child dies. And Ashok is there saying, he's my driver. It's my car. This is my responsibility. And Mm -hmm. he ends up paying that family and also offering a job to their oldest son. Not that I think that that replaces the death of this child, but certainly he's doing actual work that you would hope that someone in a position of power would do in this kind of a situation. 
And he does say that he misses Ashok sometimes and that he wishes that he had killed Mukesh instead. Um, Yeah. (laughs) And he also says that he and Dharam, they don't know what happened to their family, but they don't seem to care a ton. And particularly Dharam, who is much more interested in eating ice cream than wondering what happened to his parents. Mm hmm. We do also see that Balram gets to meet this Chinese businessman when he comes to Bangalore because he is supplying the drivers. And he tells him that he has his sights set on tomorrow, real estate, because all of the white people coming to Bangalore need a place to sleep. Finally, Balram tells us that even if he was caught, he would never say that he made a mistake because it was worth it to know how it felt to live not as a servant for even just a brief moment in time. And then Mm -hmm. he tells his drivers that unlike in old Hindi films where the poor man is haunted by nightmares after killing a rich man, he has woken up from a nightmare by killing his master. And he looks straight in the camera and says, I've broken out of the coop. And then he walks away, leaving the drivers to stare down the audience in what is perhaps a taunt, or perhaps a challenge, depending on who you are as the viewer. Yeah. And so that was where, you know, I was going to kind of link that last line back to what you were saying about the murder. And again, I think that that's a really valid critique. I think that connecting that choice to kill Ashok back to this line, maybe there's this desire to, within the world of the movie, kind of pull apart Mm -hmm. a trope. Or not, not even within the world, but just like with the through the functionality of this being a film, to call okay. call criticism down upon a trope. There's multiple things happening. There's like this story and what it's doing, and then there's like the functionality of this movie, and maybe there like that was the choice to have him kill the oh, show. Okay. But then again, it's based on a book, so maybe that doesn't really add up, right? But that's yeah. that's just an argument. No, and I appreciate that because I hadn't thought about that. I think it's an interesting choice, A, again, to have Balram murder Ashok, mm-hmm. and then to also end on this note that a certain group of people watching will potentially see as a threat. Mm-hmm. There is already this innate fear that people with power and elites of the world have about like the common man, mm-hmm. quote unquote. Like that's kind of the whole reason they want to maintain their powers because they're afraid of what will happen when they relinquish it. Sure. And I'm not saying that then it should be this whole like puppies and rainbows, but I do think that this question that's left at the end, which is like, these people could all do what Balram did. Mm -hmm. I don't know that that is the most productive place to leave it. Mm -hmm. I worry that it's then too easy for people to just be like, well, this is why the lower caste is the lower caste, because they're violent and they'll kill you. And that's why they're lesser than. No, I think that's also a valid critique. You know, the only piece that I'm trying to kind of fit in in some meaningful way is the fact that the men who are left staring down at us are not servants. These men are employees. And I don't have a fully formed thought around how that relates to your fully formed thought. (laughs) <laughs> no, but I see what you're saying. Yeah. I, but I do, yeah. I think that you, again, you know, you, you make a valid critique of the film and the choice that it's making here, because certainly there is that tendency to point a finger and call people of a lower class or a lower caste animals and to other them mm-hmm. in that way and to suggest that this is going to lead to some kind of like violent uprising 
is certainly not necessarily motivating towards trying to achieve some kind of peace. Yeah. So I I don't know. There's a whole comparison to Parasite. Yeah. There is also an interesting thing that I was thinking about in that, you know, I think cinematically speaking, there's no reason that this movie shouldn't have taken off in the U.S. You know, it's even the majority Mm -hmm. of the movie is in English. It's not even... Yeah. Not even heavily subtitled for those of us who don't speak Hindi. So... That, you know, is a conversation that we've hinted at in the past before. Like, why is it that films from India don't blow up in the U.S. the way films from, and particularly South Korea, do? There's a big following around content that they create among people in the U.S., but not... Again, I'm I'm referring to people who are not of Indian descent themselves. Yes. Who would potentially have grown up with this. Right. But it is interesting because... Priyanka Chopra, when she reached out to the director to become an executive producer Mm -hmm. on The White Tiger, she did it partially because she was just like, a fifth of the world's population is South Asian, Mm. but is a fifth of our films out in the world, is a fifth of that South Asian? No. So how do we branch this divide and start to get some South Asian representation and film in the States? So like that was a big motivation for her yeah yeah it's it's great that you brought that up and it does seem like critics found it and critics liked it yeah. but it didn't necessarily hit the zeitgeist the way that like parasite did yeah and what was really interesting too was up until the murder of ashok i was actually thinking in my head i was like well this isn't like parasite it does it in a different way mm-hmm. where it's examining similar themes but without the extreme violence which actually makes the character of ballroom more accessible and understandable to people who haven't had his same life experiences yeah, yeah. and then the murder happens yeah I, you know i was yeah. i was drawing a similar comparison when i was thinking about parasite because parasite has the only word that i could that i was like thinking of was like fantastical like there's almost a, like yeah. there's an absurdity to it that kind of punches the message home in a in mm-hmm. a really Im- effective and impactful way and that absurdity isn't in white tiger right but i do agree that i think that the murder and then also just the extreme way that he has moved out of the situation he was in and into where he's at at the end of the movie does kind of bring it into that world a little bit yeah well and then i just think about two the interesting addition of his like nephew Mm -hmm. and how his nephew is now going to be raised with a certain amount of privilege Mm -hmm. that ballroom did not have as a child and it makes you wonder if the kind of indifference you see from him about the fate of their family does that then suggest that he may be more like an ashok character than a ballroom character Mm -hmm when he grows up and then in that case has progress been made so then is this just like a perpetuating right yeah a cyclical yeah or is he gonna be a cross in between and then is that where we're heading Mm -hmm. it's yeah um we didn't really introduce this segment as being kind of your research but were there other elements that you wanted to kind of tie in here yes there are thank you kim (laughs) um I found on NPR reviews of The White Tiger from lower caste people in Mm, India. Okay. People coming from more impoverished villages. And both of them really have great sentiments about real life current day. Mm -hmm. So 
First, there is a review from Vashali Shadangal, who is a woman who went on to found her own fashion house. And she left her small town at the age of 17 and went to Bhopal with no money and no plan. Wow. She said she didn't even have the money for a bus ticket, so she rode ticketless um, what is it? and wound up in this city. Uh, WC or WT? Whatever the, yeah. yeah. <laughs> what do you call it? I can't fan? remember <laughs> in fan. I know, I thought about that too. Um, she had a very different outcome than the fan. Great. Than the fan. <laughs> yeah. And she said about White Tiger... I disliked the way the movie portrays poor people. I thought it catered to the white Western gaze, reinforcing stereotypes that the poor are helpless. She thought that the rooster coop theme is offensive and insulting Mm. because it implies that anyone born poor is subservient and servile. She said, India is a country with the harshest social divides, but I disagree when Balram says that the only way the poor can enrich themselves is if they follow a life of crime or politics. He feels no remorse even when he kills his employer because it enables him to transcend the cycle of poverty. I think that's a dangerous message and one that detracts from the years of untiring effort, discipline, and the sheer passion that many poor people use to rise above their circumstances. Yeah, I so appreciate hearing that criticism because for me watching this movie as a a privileged western person i definitely leave it thinking god rich people people with privilege have such detrimental views towards people who don't have the privileges that they have i leave it being very critical of what yeah. I can identify with within the movie. Right. And so I think it makes sense then that someone who is can identify with other characters in the film would have a completely yeah. different perspective that I wasn't able to kind of right. parse out. And I think that's the other side of the coin with the choice of murder as well. Right. Not only are you potentially scared or intimidating that more privileged class of people that you're hoping will watch this and kind of come to a, a, a better conclusion. The only um, thing I could think of was but, have a come to Jesus moment, but that's not. <laughs> basically, I mean, yeah. <laughs> but also it's then like, if you are a less privileged person, it's like not all of us are murdering you. And there are other ways. Yeah. Yeah. Like there are other ways that we can achieve those same goals. And many of us do have those goals. And it's belittling to say that some may not. And the only way to achieve them is through criminal means. Um, yeah. because certainly that is not true and here is someone who's coming right. forward and saying like here is my exact experience that proves that that's not true yeah and it kind of rings some bells for the whole like pull yourself up by your bootstraps mm-hmm. in the US which is what we would say to be like oh you're impoverished well there's things you can do to get out of that yeah. so do it Yeah. and if you just work hard enough you can become super wealthy too and yes that can be true but it's like what's the the whole adage is like some people don't even have boots. Right. And it sounds like she didn't have boots. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like are you the rule or are you the exception? Yeah. Like for every one of you, how many people also put in the same amount of work and are unable to do that because society is stacked against them? Right. Yeah. So I think she's valid. Yeah. You're saying that there's a way that that mentality could get pushed to an extreme that then mm-hmm. like – doesn't acknowledge how the fact that a person had to put in that work to achieve that success and there are people who are going to have to do significantly less in order to reach the exact same point 
the very fact that you would have to pull yourself up from your from, by your bootstraps is implying that there are people who were there already. Yeah. So that was one. Um, the other review is from Benson Nitapudi, who is a graduate student at Columbia University, who says that education, a good job, and financial status may help people considered lower caste to shield themselves from prejudice and physical violence, but the discrimination doesn't stop just because they happen to strike it rich. Mm-hmm. He tells a story of when his father, an engineer, tried to buy an apartment in an upscale housing community, and the property owners told him, we do not sell homes to people from your community, mm. i.e. caste. Yeah. Benson ended by saying, because my father was an engineer and had a respectable job, the casteism was polite. But if a family member back in our native village ever tried to engage with dominant caste landlords in such equal terms or attempted to demand equal access to opportunities and resources, consequences could range from loss of employment to social ostracization or even physical violence. And that is the delicate reality of caste, even in 21st century India. Yeah. Thinking about relating this to our experiences in the U.S., there's certainly a lot that rings true there for racial dynamics Mm -hmm. and the ways that people who aren't white, people from minority populations within the U.S. are barred from living comfortably in certain communities and... Mm -hmm. um, A story that I would love to learn more about at some point is that there were all these interesting arguments happening in Silicon Valley around caste and around Mm. how, you know, people, South Asian people working in these tech companies in the U.S. were felt that they were experiencing discrimination based on their caste from other people working within those companies from higher castes. Um, Interesting. Also yeah. from South Asia. So just to show how even in the 21st century, even in a different country, mm-hmm. these dynamics are still pervasive. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. Like transcends borders. Yeah, transcends place yeah. and time. and Yeah. So yeah, some heavy stuff. <laughs> Very much so, yeah. But thank you. That was a a good conversation. Definitely, yeah. (laughs) But Bollywood news. I do have a piece of Bollywood news. Um, Okay. Did you see that the trailer for Fighter got released? Oh, like a real one. (laughs) Yeah, like a trailer, not a teaser, a trailer. (laughs) No, I didn't. Okay. Um, From everything that we knew about this movie, if you were Uh to, like, sit down and write exactly like what you think happens in this movie and then watch the trailer, I guarantee you (laughs) your assessment would be like 100% correct. (laughs) Oh, good. I was like, is it going to be wrong? No. I kind of feel like it's going to be like a Top Gun. I've never seen Top Gun, so can neither confirm or deny. but, but... But I guess, okay, not the actual like substance of Top Gun, but like planes. I mean, yeah, there's lots of planes. <laughs> okay, but it's also that's so really. Also, that's all it's I'm... like you know the it, it it Anil Kapoor's character is like we're gathering the team of the very best pilots, and then he's like right. you also like you should mingle, you should get to know each other, and then we see like all these shots of Rithik and Deepika like hanging out, being two hot people, yeah, yeah. riding motorcycles together, 
And then there's clearly some kind of like revenge element to it for Rithik's character mm, where like he's great, you know, so he's been wronged, like his partner got killed or something. <laughs> um, there's probably going to be a twist. Yeah, probably going to be a twist. And it looks interesting. It looks like it could be really good. I'm intrigued because yeah. what? It comes out in like a week, right? Yeah. Yeah, on the 25th. So, I'm keeping my fingers exciting. crossed that it's going to play here in Vermont and I'll get to go see it. And I'm hoping it plays here outside of Boston. Yeah. <laughs> Somewhere Probably, in New England. Hopefully. Yeah, we'll, we'll yeah. find a theater and we'll go. Great. I don't have any Bollywood news. Okay. So we will go on to Pluggables. Yay. Follow us on Instagram and TikTok. Yay. Two white girls talk Bollywood. Do what you do on those platforms. <laughs> we love it. Also, um, consider following us and subscribing to us on whatever podcast platform you listen to us on you can also leave a review or rating there yeah thanks for listening thanks for listening uh join us also on youtube and spotify where we keep our bollywood bangers playlists where we add we add songs from the movies that we watch uh, that we like that we like let's move into our film for next yes. week we're watching thank you for coming we are yes which might feel like an interesting jump <laughs> from White Tiger to a female sexuality-focused film. Yeah. But that's what we need But right here now. we are. That's what we're doing. Yeah, we wanted to watch something that came out fairly recently. Um, neither of us have watched this movie yet. Um, mm-hmm. And we're going into it a little bit blind with a bit of a sense of what it's about, but not knowing whether we're going to be excited about the themes or have some critiques, maybe a little bit of both. But yeah, I think it's one way or another, uh, we're going to have an interesting time. <laughs> Right. <laughs> it's going to be a party. <laughs> <laughs> going to have a lot of fun, right? Do you have the IMDb? I do. So, when five best friends assemble together at a family gathering, they must navigate the hilarious and heartwarming consequences of their lie, discovering the true depth of their friendship and love. I wonder oh. what that lie is going to be. Oh, I like that. That's a yeah. different element than what I get. Yeah. Thank You for Coming is available on Netflix. And the synopsis on Netflix is, After foregoing true romance for a stable fiancé, a food blogger finally finds sexual satisfaction at her engagement party, thanks to a mystery lover. Oh my goodness. Yeah, I do also just want to say, stable can be sexy. Let's not (laughs) put out this idea that, like, stability is Is unattractive, yeah, no. yeah. Sometimes sometimes it's nice to know that you can rely on a person. <laughs> yeah, in fact, I think a lot of people are looking for that. <laughs> we really enjoy that kind of thing. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, based on reviews, right, it's like fun, potentially kind of light, but yeah. also addressing some important topics. Yeah. We'll see. We will see. And we're in the hands of Bumi Pednikar, who is fabulous, and Anil Kapoor also was a producer on the film. So people who I trust (laughs) to bring us places are bringing us to the places. Amazing. But until next time, remember, Bollywood doesn't need us. No. But we need Bollywood. We do. And we need more films like this that really ask us to critically yeah. consider the state of our world. Yeah, so. and make us question things and have good conversations. Yeah. yeah. We're going to go. <laughs> we got to go to bed. 